0: Welcome to His Hands, His Feet podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Camp. Well, if you've been listening to my podcast for any length of time, you know that the purpose of this podcast is to equip, encourage, even compel you to live your life on mission. You also know that I believe that every one of us has a mission and a purpose for our life. And it may be one that changes you know, throughout different seasons, or it might be one that you have your entire life. But whenever you meet someone, that is living their life with purpose and they know that that's their purpose and their mission, at least during that season, then you are drawn to them because they're, they have passion about what they're doing. There's a joy and excitement in their voice when they talk about what they're doing. And that is very, um, you know, you are drawn to it and it's very compelling. You also know that I do a lot of uh, episodes about foster care and adoption and whether interviews or Uh, me talking about it or Danielle and I talking about what's going on in our family. You also know that I have done some interviews and I talk about nonprofit work and where you can be involved in either as a volunteer or working with a ministry that's local in your community. And so in today's interview, you get to hear both because I'm interviewing uh, Jen Reichert, who is the founder of Stand Up 8, and her family coach that she has on staff, uh, Becky Wicks. And this is a brand new nonprofit ministry that's located in the Austin, Texas area, and what they do is they walk alongside families who have adopted, at least for now, through foster care. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about exactly what they do and, and why they've done it, but I'm going to give you a little, you know, just a heads up. You're going to get to find out why they call their their nonprofit ministry Stand Up Eight. It's a pretty cool story, and I think you'll enjoy it. So why don't you join me in this interview with Jen and Becky with Stand Up 8. Well, I am sitting here with um, two friends of mine, Jen and Becky, and I'm going to let them give a little bit more of their background. And But I do want to just, first of all, just touch a little bit. Jen and I have known each other, I guess it's eight years now maybe, and, and that goes back to when we were getting uh, trained and uh licensed, certified, whatever you call it to be foster parents, uh, through Arrow Ministries way back in the day. And Jen was one of the trainers and and leaders at that organization. And you know, I have um you know, a couple of memories from the training days. Oh dear. Not that's to your, embarrass that's you. Your you? <laughs> but uh okay. one was just um you know, you were good at what you what you do and what you were doing there. And so you you know, we learned a lot from you and I think it was Amanda was the other Amanda. Amanda was there long ago, yeah. Yeah, when you were y'all were kind of the two (laughs) main trainers and of course we learned tons and we Danielle and I would leave those Sessions and just man, just process all the way home, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. The other one is, I think that was a, when I realized that I have a sensory processing <gasps> challenge, yes, uh, and, do it's, tell. and it's auditory because you okay. know it's kind of a small room, uh-huh. we we're packed in there, uh-huh. and Jen has a this very wonderful <laughs> loud voice, <laughs> <She does. laughs> yeah. and uh, and seriously, I would have to like you know okay. do something to help me. Stay calm. Uh-huh. So that, so that was. Those are my two memories. Oh jeez, I a the voice
1: of mine. It's it's, it's great. You it's know, a I, curse and a blessing most days. Yeah, I, you yeah.
0: know we Danielle's hard of hearing, so she could hear you, <laughs> and then I I, just, I realized, that, you know, this is making me. Feel, She's a lot
1: that one. Yeah, yeah anxious.
0: You know, yeah, because of the sensory, not because of you, but the sensory overload thing. I, I totally but, get that. Yeah. So yeah, Jen, we go way back, and so she knows our son back when he was first placed with us, and in the first couple of years of his life. And yes. So those are, for us, you know, of course you had lots of families, but for us that was, uh-huh. you know, it's good memories. Yeah. Good. And so Becky's also here, and so I'm going to let you all introduce yourselves for your full names, but then let kind of just get into who you are and specifically okay. your professional backgrounds.
1: Okay. So I'm Jen Reichert, the girl with the loud voice. <laughs> uh, you know, the funny thing about such uh, this loud voice that I have, I don't super love the spotlight, and I don't like... I kind of joke that I'm this recluse that's an introvert that doesn't need anybody to know what I'm up to. Mm-hmm. But God sort of blessed me with this very loud. I say I'm, I'm loud and obnoxious and I have the like, there's no hiding Like I'm not going to be in the corner. No one's ever going to hear me because I just am radiating Run. through America. So it's funny that you mentioned that because that's kind of how it is with me. <laughs> so yeah, I um, have been in the field for 10 years and before right. that uh, I taught, school for a long time and loved it. Mm. I miss it, especially at times like this when it's the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I've been working with kids and families my whole adult career. I think Mm. I probably started babysitting when I was 11 or 12 and kids and families have kind of been my life ever since then. Um, have always had a knack for it. Definitely have a knack for the kiddos who are the, the quote unquote troublemaker problem children. Mm. Um, always could just figure them out and understood them a little differently than other people did for, for whatever reason. And so, yeah, I worked with you guys so long ago. And <laughs> what I remember about y'all is that you were interested in adopting older kiddos. And mm-hmm. so when I was the adoption coordinator, That's right. we were plugging away at trying to get you guys like an 8 and up, a 10 and up. I don't right. even remember. but And we even did some staffings and it mm-hmm. just wasn't working out. And then you guys said yes to a kid that was outside of what you wanted and it worked out beautifully. And I feel like from that moment on, Hmm. I've used you guys as an example to say, Hmm. when you say yes to a kid who needs you, these are the things that can happen because ultimately most of our families were coming to us looking for the kind of kiddo that you guys said yes to. Yes. And, and (laughs) we're, they're waiting and waiting and waiting and then, You guys changed your path, what you thought that you wanted to do, Mm -hmm. and here you are. You've got this beautiful family because you said yes to a kid who needed you. It was so such a simple thing, and so complicated all at the same time, and it just worked out. So I
0: appreciate hearing that, and it's a good reminder. Yes, we can't imagine not having him. But yeah, we had two twin beds. We were looking at four to six, four to ten, kind of was the optimum age, and then I think
1: I even did a staffing for you guys for a twelve-year-old. Yes,
0: two weeks before. This little guy. This yeah. Here,
1: so, yeah, and I, you, it wasn't the right fit. It wasn't gonna work. And then mm-hmm. this little guy came up. It was, it's crazy how it all happened. So that's always mm-hmm. what I remember about mm-hmm. about y'all saying yes to a kid. And so now here we are, all this time later. Right. You know. So yeah.
0: He, he's in that age range now. I'm just mm-hmm. older. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. And then so mm-hmm. I left the agency three <clears throat> years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, really I'm real transparent about it. I needed a break from sure. the system and it's the brokenness work. that we were dealing with on a daily basis. And really I was a serious workaholic and had a, a problem. I was caring for other people's families better mm. than I was caring for my own and had to to just yeah. leave and, and run for the hills. And so that's what I did. I, I thought I would never get back into social work. I thought I was done, mm-hmm. I you know, had been burned. I was finished with the whole thing, but that's just not really where I belong. So I... Found myself here. And, uh, yeah, we can talk more about Santa Bait in a minute, but right. started it for a big purpose.
0: Yeah, so I'm looking forward cool. to getting into it. Yeah. So, Becky, uh, you have helped Jen start this. You're one of the co-founders, I guess. Do you, Well, you know? I'm not a co-founder, I don't She think. founded <laughs> it, and then yeah, she hired yeah, you. Yeah, so yep, she... just
2: along for the ride. Good. Well, tell us a little uh, bit
0: about who you are and some of your professional background.
2: Yeah. So, I'm Becky Wicks. I studied social work at UT. I graduated in two thousand twelve, so I've been in the field for about five years now. When you do a social work degree you have to get a practic you have to do mm-hmm. a practicum mm-hmm. and so I did it with Arrow back in the day and just I wanted to work I got into social work because I wanted to work in adoption. Um, I thought I wanted to do more international adoption mm-hmm. stuff, but practicums weren't available in that area and so I ended yeah. up doing foster care. And I just fell in love with it. Hmm. I loved the idea of families caring for a kid unconditionally Mm -hmm. in a way that was a little bit different than international adoption to me because you couldn't know how it was going to end up. And to me, there was just a picture of love that goes even further when Mm -hmm. you you decide to love on this kid that you don't know how long they'll be in your home. I just Mm -hmm. feel like that was a really sweet picture of unconditional love. Mm -hmm. So I fell in love with it. Um, I graduated and moved out of the country for a year and then came back. And when I came back, um, Jan asked me if I wanted to come back to Arrow, and I absolutely did. And so I worked for about two years at Arrow Mm -hmm. and then wanted to move away from case management for a little bit Mm -hmm. and it was hard I was tired um and so I moved into a little bit more macro practice and I worked with the for the city network Mm -hmm. I worked um at restore foster care and so I was still working with foster families but I was doing more equipping and training on the front end Mm -hmm. and plugging families into resources so then I did that for two years and then was like well I really want to work more with families again I want to be mm-hmm. in the nitty gritty same thing with Jen talking about kids understand it, or understanding kids that other people don't really have a knack for I feel mm-hmm. like God has just gifted us in a way that we are able to see sort of what's going on in these little kiddos brains and able to bring light to mm-hmm. the people around them of like hey maybe this is what's going on and just sort of get to walk with families through that process of gaining understanding and um learning how to better deal with what's really going on versus what looks like what's going on and then seeing the healing that takes place from there so i wanted to get back into that sort of thing and ended up talking to jen and she was like hey i need someone to be in a home i have this idea (laughs) yeah so she gave me her grand idea and i was like i want to do that So here we are. Yeah.
0: So here we are. That's really cool. And that's a great segue into, you know, let's talk, spend some time talking about Stand Up 8. Okay. And and so, um, first of all, where'd you get the name? What's it mean?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I feel like we need to work on our story about how we came up with Stand Up 8. (laughs) Really what happened is, I I feel like I'm this creative type who Mm -hmm. always has these ideas and and I just couldn't come up with a name. We kept, I, I wanted it to signify so many things, and I was just had two big shoes to fill. And so mm. she and I were, I feel like, on opposite pages about names that we liked. And so we were texting and texting and texting. Mm. And I, I, I mean, how many names did we even think of? Like, so many, so many. So one night, I was like, I had seen this. Um, this verse in proverbs about the righteous will fall seven times and mm. rise again. And mm. so I was like, Man, that's a, I've got to figure something out with that because our families fall and they fall, mm. and, they fall mm. and they fall and they fall. And we want to go in and, and pick them back up to them back up. And so I'm like, but do not rise again. Like I, nothing made sense. And finally it just hit me. I, I started just Googling as we do these sure. days about like, proverbs what I need to figure out rise again and this Japanese proverb popped up that said hmm. fall seven times stand up eight and so I huh. thought well now would you looky there stand up eight stand up eight, stand up eight, stand up eight. I kind of like that and I thought well what's going to happen I want to tell Becky here and she's going to be like no I don't like that <laughs> idea like let's find something else right and so I told her and so she was like wait no I that's catchy like I think mm-hmm. I like that and so that's really kind of how it happened. And then we thought, is anybody going to know what that means? Like, we didn't want it to be so meaningful that people sure. were always like, does well, that, when are you talking about But right. it really has been, <laughs> it's just taken off. And yeah. it really, I think, signifies what it is that we're trying to do for families. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it it makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Well,
0: so, I gave me a little, I got to be honest, a little bit of a chill. Because you know, when you said the, Chinese, you know, the Japanese proverb, but I agree. It, yeah. It's a good mix of it makes sense stand up you know makes sense yeah. to families that are in it you know get back up mm-hmm. but then also the stand up aid caused me to go exactly so tell me tell me what's this I
1: appreciate yeah. you saying yeah. that that's what we're that's, that's what we're good. hoping for we want it to be thought provoking but not confusing
2: yeah. necessarily
0: alright well, let's get into the nitty-gritty of it <laughs> okay. what's the purpose of of the organization you can and I'm not going to keep asking questions just kind of flow okay. with that what's the okay. purpose You know, what do you guys do, you know, and so on.
1: So let's start at the top. We So our mission is to empower adoptive families for change, lasting change, immediate change, um, by providing trauma-informed behavior management in their homes. And that's the kicker because Uh the research is becoming more and more conclusive Mm -hmm. all the time that interventions inside the home far outweigh those inside an office. And so there are several treatment options that are now kind of moving toward this model of let's get into the homes with families. And so mm. in my many many years working in child welfare, the the biggest one of the biggest needs that I continued to see over and over again that was not being met was services after a family adopts. Yeah. And so, you know, we were working so hard. I mean, I was working 60, 80 hours a week, working so hard to to recruit families that we felt like could do this and then to train them up in the best way that we could Mm -hmm. to try to prepare them for this whole hullabaloo that they were getting themselves into. And then we walked with them through the whole process that's just absurd, really, when you peel back the layers and look at what the foster care Mm -hmm. system process is like for kids and families. And so all of that. And then they adopt, which is so cool. And then it's, you're like, oh, well, it's great working with you guys all these years. Enjoy this child with all this trauma history, I hope it goes okay. And that was it. And so I was getting phone call after phone call, email after email from families who maybe had adopted 10 or 15 years ago, back when Mm -hmm. I was in high school and struggling and not knowing where to go and, and feeling like the books they were reading were not, didn't apply to their kid and talking Mm -hmm. to their friends and their friends advice was not applying to their kid. And so I thought, we've, I've always had a heart for adoption, and I always knew that I would be doing something to help families who adopt, and it just made sense that mm. we would try to go into the home. It was really important to me that we be in the house. We also, when we go into the home, we work with the entire family unit, and people right. aren't doing that. Right. There's We really don't believe in there being a problem child, and so we're deliberate in helping our families mm. understand that it's the whole family's moms and dads and brothers and sisters to make the home a happier place to live. And so for us, we thought, okay, well, what do we need to do? We need to go into homes. Mm -hmm. We need to work with the whole family. But we also don't want it to cost a ton of money. Mm -hmm. Services are expensive. The services out there are hard to find, and they're expensive. And so I thought, well, we need to make this affordable for almost every income level. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we started thinking, okay, let's not charge families very much money. And then we'll offset costs with... Funding, raising right, funding. And right. so that's what we did. We have done it that way to keep costs affordable for families. So that's kind of the, uh, you know, the basis for where we came from. I mean, unresolved trauma is right. the majority of our homelessness, our mental illness, our incarceration. That, I mean, it's just is stuff you've got to get in and deal with and or it will continue to cause mm-hmm. these things. And so for us, it was important to... I've always said, I probably said it when you guys were around. I've always mm-hmm. said, if you can step in and help one kid, right. I mean, you stop generations of dysfunction. And right. that's, I mean, that kind of needs to rest on our society. And we're talking generations, like mm-hmm. moms and dads and grandparents mm-hmm. and great grandparents, on and on and on for years and years and years. And you change an entire family tree when you say yes to a kid, like you guys yes. did, yeah. to adopt them. And the problem is, is once the adoption is finalized and the judge says, chunk, 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 hooray, hooray enjoy your family right you're still parenting a traumatized kiddo and yeah. it's not it's not normal for most of us to know how to parent a traumatized kid mm-hmm. the way that we were parented doesn't work for our kinds of kids lots of times right some stuff works just sure. not everything and so having to retrain to see how to help this kid takes support and so that's why mm-hmm. we Said, you know what, let's do this. Stand up eight, here we go. Like, we're going to go in and we're going to help these families the best we can. So we go in every other week. Becky, my family coach here, goes into homes every other week um, and just works with families for an hour. We did a a focus group who said an hour was an ideal amount of time. Mm -hmm. We piloted the the idea last summer. And an hour every other week works really well for families. It goes by really fast. I'm sure. Um, But... Yeah, it works really well for families, and Becky can, can talk more about what she does in homes with families. She's a rock star with it, um, and families are thriving. The families we're working with, I think, have really learned a lot and are changing
0: mm-hmm. the things that they're doing. Yeah, I want to hear. I want to hear kind of what you do and, and kind of some of the things you've seen over this. I guess it's been about a year since you've been doing it. Then.
1: Yeah, we started seeing, so we did our pilot last <clears throat> August mm-hmm. to December. Okay. And just in four months, we did a survey, and all of our families said that they had a deeper understanding of their kid, who their mm-hmm. kid was, their kid's needs, and all of them said that they they could do what we had told them to do. So right. they all said, yeah, you know what, your ideas maybe wasn't what we were doing originally and were able to do it. So that constant kind of working with them over and over again to beat it in their brains of how, how to do this. So yeah, we did that, and then we started taking families officially in March okay. mm-hmm. of 17. So we've not even been at it a year
2: yet.
0: Right. So walk us through that. What's that look like?
2: Yeah, so we do... Our, we're very set on doing a trauma-informed approach, and so we put together a lot of different models. Um, we work with some tbri stuff mm-hmm. and i have also done circle of security mm-hmm. and i've also gotten to participate in the natural lifemanship training with um spirit so they their equine assisted yes. psychotherapy mm-hmm. i'm not a mental health professional but i've gotten to participate in a lot of these really great trainings that allow yeah. us to put together um, activities and information from all different sorts of things. And so when I go into homes with families once every other week, I spend half the time with the parents talking through what's going on, what their kids, um, have been up to, if there's new challenges they've encountered, what we were working on, what's trying or yeah, what's working and what's not and then the second half is doing a facilitated activity with the entire family um, and that's where we're watching them all engage together and sort of guiding their interactions to mm-hmm. coach them through what healthy interactions look like so they can take what we're doing in that activity and then recreate it in the two weeks that they're not or that mm-hmm. I'm not in their home and then I, I come back and say, okay, you tried all these things, how did it work? So the activities are really fun, and a lot of them are really simple, but it's just sort of like a reset on mm-hmm. some things. We get in routines, and we forget
0: Oh yeah.
2: how to delight in a kid, or connect with a kid, or um, mm-hmm. just use, use language that empowers the child. And so I'm teaching, I'm working with families to teach emotional awareness, I'm working to teach I'm
0: going to interrupt. emotional awareness of the child or of the parent or both uh, both. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, we feel strongly about how a parent's own background plays into their parenting. And so we very much want them to be aware yeah. of their own emotions that come into every situation and, um, their past stressors, any, mm-hmm. any sort of thing that could be playing into how they're reacting to their kids' behaviors. But then we also want children to understand when my fists are really clenched and when I'm stomping on the ground and when my face gets tense, that that feeling is anger Mm -hmm. and that's not something I want to stay in. And so I first need to be aware of that feeling Mm. so that I can then work through that feeling. That's good. Um, So we teach... Families how to do that, how mm-hmm. to become aware of the feelings and then how we can process through them and work through them in a healthy way that doesn't teach them, hey, we don't feel that feeling, let's move yeah. on, but also let's find a healthy way to deal with what's going on.
0: That's good.
1: I mean, I think just at the,
2: the root of it all,
1: mm-hmm. I mean, our goal is really just to go in and help parents meet the deepest needs of kids who've been abused and neglected. And so for us, that driving force the entire time when this whole idea started was to help kids feel attached, feel bonded Mm -hmm. and feel safe. And so we feel like we can help families help kids feel that way. And so in everything that we do, and she and I talk about every single solitary detail of these families, because we want to make sure that we're taking this little group, this five people in this mm-hmm. family and what we do is very specific to what's going on in their house mm-hmm. with their kid right. with that parent's background right. then we go to the next home and this six people that we're working with is completely different than oh, these yeah. four so we I feel like for us what's been really great is being able to just tailor fit mm-hmm. every plan we have and for the family. And if the kids started school, mm-hmm. we have that huge transition, which for most of us, when right. the transition causes some upheaval. Right. And so being able to then help families walk through that process together, mm-hmm. when maybe the first five years of school have been chaos. And now we're able to help them this time kind of have it be a little more smooth process. So I think, yeah, we just, it's a lot of handholding of family. You're not in this by yourself. It, you know, when, when you guys were foster parents, there were lots of people in and out of your house. You right. had lots of people who were holding you accountable. Even people that you could just say, you know, what? I don't super love this very much today. And sometimes right. I wonder if this was the right thing for me. And my kid's making me crazy. And I right. I don't know what to do about it. I, we're even able to just walk families through mm-hmm. that whole process. And just have somebody else who can hear you and validate and tell you that you're not right. a cuckoo pants because you don't really like your kid very much today. It just is how it goes. Mm -hmm. And so I think for us, being able to step back in the game with families has been huge. I think that they just need that extra person who can kind of just come in and say, take a deep breath. It's fine. We're here to help you. We will get through this. You're not by yourself, which is frankly what all of us want. You know, we all want to feel like we're not messing up too much and we need somebody to say, Mm -hmm. We've got it. You can do this. Yeah. Let's, let's do it together. So I think that's been really fun to watch families kind of take a deep breath when we get there. When we first started the pilot, you know, it's one of those things where we had done the focus group. The families mm-hmm. really liked the idea. I'm like, okay, can this work? Is this going to work? Like no one's ever done it. There's not anything like us out there. So we're like, is this going to work? Like, I, I don't know. Let's see how it's. So then we started the pilot and our first visit on August 1st, 2016, we walked in with that first family. And in the first, had sat there on the sofa and talked to them, whatever. We were walking upstairs and I looked at Becky and I was like, this is going to work. This is a really good idea. This is going to (laughs) work. These families need us. Like, and it wasn't because Becky and I are so amazing that we're changing the world. It just, they needed people who know what's happening Mm. and, and to see them just sort of unload because they were so frustrated or desperate or whatever it was like to just see them sort of take a sigh of relief and think, Mm -hmm. okay, okay, we can do this. You know, Jen and Becky are here. We can do this. And so it just really, I thought that, yeah, we can't not do this. We have to help these families. And if you're, if you're going to have these kids in your house, we need it to be a peaceful place for Mm -hmm. these babies who have already had abuse and neglect history. Like we need home to be a wonderful place for them. And we can, we can help families with that.
0: I'm speaking as a foster and adoptive yeah. family or dad. What I've seen, it, the tendency is, you know, like you described, is that after the adoption, it's kind of like, okay, y'all, good luck. Yeah. But also the families kind of say, okay, we yeah, have to finally. we have to do this. Yeah. And it, it's you very easily can become isolated in a lot mm-hmm. of different
1: ways. Absolutely. It's so common. And it is, it's really very common.
0: common. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, we made this commitment to do mm-hmm. this. Nobody else, we did. So we mm-hmm. got to make it work. Uh, but also because... You're not um, having someone walk you through training and, and, like, the home visits and stuff. You have to be intentional to continue to do that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you get so caught up in, you know, just mm-hmm. the chaotic change of right. your family, you know, yep. um, dynamics that you don't. And so you become one more, more isolated. And then the behavioral stuff is different than your peers' kids. Mm-hmm. And so that isolates you even further. They don't, like you said earlier, they don't understand, you know, why yeah. you're parenting the way you're parenting Right. Why are your kids acting the way they're acting? And so, yeah, you know, I agree. It's it's a tool that's very much needed for families. And so I want to thank you for that. A couple questions. Okay. Uh, one is, how many families are you all working with right now?
1: So we have room for more families. Mm-hmm. So right now, we think that our capacity at a time for families, because we work with them about six months. Okay. And we have one family coach at the time, and mm-hmm. there's only so many hours in a day. Right. So all of that math adds up to about having ten families at a time. Okay. Um, and right now we have four, potentially five. Um, but we have, uh, mm-hmm. families who now are coming to the end of their six month mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, we're talking to them about, do they want to continue working with us? Are they ready to be done? Right. Um, so yeah, we have capacity to take more families right now. Um, we charge 200 a month flat mm-hmm. rate, um, which is low. Yeah. Yeah. Which we did on purpose. And mm-hmm. it's so important to me that we keep costs low, mm-hmm. um, So we're working really hard to fundraise and um, look for other funding sources, figuring out earned income strategies and that kind of thing to keep costs low for families. So with the 200, it's visits every other week, and then it's contact in between visits, Mm -hmm. which really is, I mean, there's a lot of time that we spend talking back and forth with families, talking about families, um, stepping in when we need to, if they need it. Um, we've also really like the idea of talking to schools. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk to any school who will okay. let us come in and yeah. talk, talking to teachers, spending time in teachers' classrooms good. with our kiddos just to say, Hey, I don't know that this is working so great. Have you thought about this Or That's really good. Keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we just started to try to get in the door with schools. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, now, is as that it, part of the family
0: package or mm-hmm. I don't know right, right you know, now? It is.
1: Yeah. Okay. And that's, so helpful because, Mm -hmm. you know, I was an educator for a lot of years and I was spending more time with those kids than sometimes in their own families were spending with them. And so it would be really nice, you know, for us to be able to talk to teachers and say, this is what this kid's got going on. Let us help you help them. Um, And more and more teachers all the time are are getting more excited about this kind of stuff because for a long time when I was an educator, I didn't know anything about trauma history and I had traumatized kids in my classroom and I wouldn't have known the first thing to do with them. And so it, it's nice, you know, a lot more teachers are open to the idea. So, yeah, that all mm-hmm. comes with it because we want to help everywhere we can that our, our kids are hanging out.
0: The other one is how, how you know, we keep throwing around this term trauma-informed care, and mm-hmm. I think most of the ones that are listening to the podcast have at least a feel for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But give a, give your definition of that, and then also I'm curious how many of the families that y'all have been working with, how, how informed were they in that kind of parenting? Mm-hmm. When you first started with them.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Because when you get licensed to um, take foster or adoptive kids in your home, you have a lot of training. And a lot of agencies these days are putting in trauma-informed. It's true. They have shifted. In their training, which is great. But that's when you you don't have a kid in your home. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh, this is really good information. I like that a lot. And maybe you write it down. And then you have a kid in your home. That has all of these different sorts of behaviors that aren't exactly like the mm-hmm. uh, the case study that you listen to. Right. And you're like, well, now what do I do? So, the way... So, our families had a lot of um, experience or knowledge of it ahead of time. But then, when a child is in your home, it's just different. Yeah, and totally. so, <laughs> we get to teach them new things, remind them of old things. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Any, regardless of the level that you have, it's still every family has been so thankful just for the reminder of it, even if they Mm -hmm. said ahead of time that they felt really confident in their knowledge of trauma. So, but when we're talking about trauma informed, what we're talking about is the adverse experiences that happen in a child's early life whether it's in utero or while they are in a biological home or bouncing around placements any sort of experience that can that is causing them harm and what those experiences are doing in their early life is altering their brain chemistry and so when we are working with families we're giving them practical things that they can do that is actually correcting their child's brain chemistry so that they're forming the bonds and attachment that happen in a healthy home. Synapses that are connecting just without, I mean, without intention when you're just holding and rocking your child. But when a child didn't have those experiences, a lot of that stuff is missing. The great news is those things can be corrected, but it takes time and it takes intentionality. And so what we're doing is we're taking our knowledge of a child's brain and how those things, how they have coped with their adverse experiences and sort, form sort of maladaptive tendencies Mm -hmm. and teaching, teaching parents how to recreate those opportunities for bonding and attachment to form the healthy connections. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Nailed it. Put a pin in that one.
0: Yep, I liked it. Good explanation. And I know it's very true for us. I mean, that's how it was, you know, because we we were introduced to Karen Purvis, you know, Mm. know, the TBRI stuff back, um, Mm -hmm. I think a couple years before we were licensed, even. Really? At a conference. Yeah. Um, I think it was the Together for Adoption oh, conference yeah, that, that conference. happened. And that's when we started reading the book. But that was before we were even getting any training like at Arrow. So, you know, what yeah. you're saying is like you get that knowledge like, oh, wow, this is a totally different paradigm. But then you go through training and it's kind of a different paradigm. And then you get the kid or yeah. kids. Wait the, a second. Um, yeah. The defaults come yeah. in, you know, like exactly. the default parenting, right. and the default personality. Absolutely. Yeah. Or, or the collision of their brokenness and my brokenness yes. and, and so all those things happen and, mm-hmm. and you do forget or you do need those reminders so yeah. just another reason why what you guys are doing is needed any other things that you want to share about elder organization and you know, what, what i'm going to do is wrap this up afterwards after you guys leave and just say hey here's how you can connect with y'all, great. contact y'all and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and there's really kind of two audiences that we're speaking to. One is those that this resonates with and they want to help fund what you're doing. Okay, and the other is just, you know, families that need, Call us. need what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so
1: That's okay.
0: great. Any other things y'all want to kind of wrap it up a little bit?
1: I could sit and talk about our kids and our families mm-hmm. all day long and, and adoption and what it means to me and how important it is mm-hmm. to, to step into that mm-hmm. and do it. Um, I just... I'm excited about the whole thing. I I keep seeing over and yeah. over again. I mean, I, again, I I think that Becky and I are really good at what we do and I think we have a lot of great experience. But at the end of the day, like we're just Jen and Becky yeah. and I I think that for me the things that I keep seeing happening for families and the things even that I keep seeing happening for stand up eight that is not because I'm some brilliant mind who has just orchestrated it so beautifully. It just has worked itself out. And Mm -hmm. I think it's because it's so necessary. And I think it's because we're pioneering this whole world that, that other people just aren't aren't tapping into yet. And so I think I'm encouraged all the time about, Mm -hmm. even though it's such a new program, even though we're we're still growing and we're learning and it just, it's going to work because Mm -hmm. it has to, there are all these kids out there. I mean, Almost 5,700 kids were adopted in Texas last year in 2016. Through foster care. Yes. Yes. And so, with that many kids in Texas, there's got to be people in the trenches with these families who are helping them help these kids heal. And the whole family has to heal when when you're in the thick of all of this. And Mm -hmm. so, like Becky said, the great news is that you can heal from it. You just need help and you have to kind of change the way that you do things. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, I... I'm sleeping great at night because I know that we're doing the right thing for families. <laughs>
0: I'm,
1: I'm, we're, we're doing the best we Becky, can. Becky, how are you sleeping yes. <laughs> So good. <laughs> I just, I'm like, we, this is, we are going to take care of these families right. and we just need it to multiply. We need more and more people out mm-hmm. there helping families with these kids so that we can all kind of skip off into happy land together. And I, that to me, it, I'm excited about the whole thing. And I think watching families grow and thrive and I mean, we're transforming Mm -hmm. generations of dysfunction and that's what I was set on this planet to do. And so here we are talking to you on a podcast and uh, about helping people and by golly, it makes me feel good.
0: I love it. Yeah. Yes, you can tell. <laughs> the enthusiasm. Yay. Y'all are a great balance. <laughs> 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 oh, man. I don't I think know.
2: I need mean, I mean balance, don't I? Cause I just well, Don't that. we all? I mean, we all I need know, that. I know. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, thank you both very much, and I'm glad you thank came you. back in. And yeah. so I'm, I'm looking forward to this getting out. Um, Me too. To those who you know, need to hear this and what you guys are doing and so many ways that people can benefit from this. So. Yeah.
2: Thanks so much for having us. I love what you're doing. You would do, I'm you having fun it. too. So. good. Man.
0: Well, I know that you could hear the passion in their voices. When Jen and Becky uh, were explaining what they do, why they do it, what compels them, uh, you can just hear it uh, in everything that they say. And if you are an adoptive family, whether it's through foster care, domestic, or international, I know that you have had seasons in your journey, unless you've just started out, to where you have felt like the things that they were describing. And then were you just like, you know, I've come to the end of who I am, and I need someone to come alongside me and help me apply the things that you probably have learned uh, at some point in your journey. but having someone that can remind you in the, in, when you're in the, you know, in the throes of raising a child from a hard place and can help you apply those principles. And so I know that it spoke to you. And if, if you're in the Austin, Texas area or Central Texas area, and again, just as Jen was saying, they have space for a few more families, I want to encourage you to get in touch with her and see what, uh, when and, and how you can become one of their families that they are working with. But I'm also speaking to you who don't feel like you've been called to foster or adopt a child, but you know that you have a role to play in answering that call that God has given us to take care of children that are from broken homes. And this is a great way that you can do that. And that is by financially supporting this nonprofit, Stand Up 8, because it really is, as we talked about throughout the interview, um, it is a void that is in the whole journey of adoptive families. You know, we do get our a lot of training and people walking with us and in and out of our homes and helping us up through the adoption, but not so much after the adoption. And so this is a great way that you can be a part of helping a child and that is by supporting a family through this ministry. And so I want to encourage you also to get in touch with Jen at Stand Up Eight. And so you'll be able to go to my website to get their URL and their contact information. And that's also where you'll find the show notes for this podcast. And so just go to kennethacamp.com episode 29. That's kennethacamp.com episode 29. And it'll take you straight to the page where you can find that information. Again, I'm very thankful for Jen and Becky taking the time to do this interview, and I'm looking forward to seeing what God does with Stand Up Abe.